Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Excited because Carly Shimkus is going to be joining us in 45 minutes, giving us the other stories that you don't get to focus on enough. And with the president actually testing positive for COVID-19, I want to go back in time and get a perspective on other presidents that felt health crises in the past and how they handled it publicly from FDR to Abraham Lincoln to William McKinley to, of course, JFK and Ronald Reagan. And I asked Jay Winnick to join us, so he's going to be joining us. He was the author of April 1865 and 1944. So they'll do that, but we have so much more to talk about. As you know, so much is happening. We have 27 days into the election. More than 4 million of you have voted already, and we're staring down the throat of another hurricane, Hurricane Delta, rapidly intensifying to a Category 4 as it bears down on the Gulf Coast. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We know that Hillary Clinton not only invented the Russia hoax, she financed the Russia hoax, she disseminated the Russia hoax, and Barack Obama knew it. Uh, That is Greg Jarrett, closer to answers, declassifying John Brennan's memos. It shows a plot by Hillary to link Trump to Russia to distract from her email scandal, the pushback, and the bizarre explanation from John Brennan himself with this sinister plot finally be unveiled. Will we actually find out that it should be debunked? We'll look at it. Number two. The president said he would stop talks aimed at helping Americans through this pandemic and then appeared to reverse course. On Twitter, he did call for his negotiators to walk away. That message immediately sent stocks into a nosedive and drew sharp criticism from members of both parties. Rescue package needs CPR as President Trump closes then opens talks with tweets. All I know is people need help and Pelosi's a delay of game person and the president's tweets help her delay the game. Meanwhile, 45 is showing nothing but improvement in this recovery from COVID-19 as more White House aides like Stephen Miller test positive. Number one. It's an extremely important debate at this moment because of the two top people on the tickets. You have one, the 74-year-old president who just got out of the hospital, and the other who would be 78 on Inauguration Day, by far the oldest president ever to begin his term in office. So it is a big deal. I do think it's a big deal. I'm talking about the beep show tonight. The pressure is on Pence to give the Trump campaign something they have not had in weeks, and that's momentum. While the media works with Biden to make sure the 77-year-old is adequate, now the facts reveal the NBC town hall of undecided voters were actually Biden supporters. Yes, and he still fumbled it. Is this unbelievable that MSNBC used to have Lester Holt, they bring him out there, their number one anchor, and they say that there's a town hall for undecided voters? And call me naive, but I thought they actually had to be even pretending to be undecided voters, two of which appeared on the network as Republicans who have converted to supporting Joe Biden. 
which is astounds me because anyone who thinks Joe Biden can pass for a Republican or even a moderate, after you see what he's done, you're really going to be kicking yourself more than anything. Any, any Trump tweet might drive you nuts, but the result is going to be titanic for the country. But you might not believe that. You might be a Republican and say, well, Donald Trump does this and that, and I just don't like it anymore. Understand, it's not Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump. You know, it's not George Bush 41 or Donald Trump. It is Donald Trump or Joe Biden, who is really past his prime, who has a left-wing running mate and is run is standing on top of a Democratic mountain of anger and liberalism. So what's going to be at stake today? I, I think Mike Pence is going to do fantastic. Why? He knows the issues. He knows the coronavirus. Why? He understands President Trump better than anybody else outside his family, maybe better than his family. Number three. He's different from President Trump, so he's going to keep his cool regardless. He might interrupt with one or two words, but they'll stop. But what he has is substance. What he has is not only does he know the issues, he's been doing it. Senator John Kennedy, cut 11. Well, I think Senator Harris and Vice President Pence will talk about race in America. But if you read um, the Senator, Senator Harris's and uh, uh, Mr. Biden's agenda you will see that they both believe that America is a racist nation, that we were racist in our origins and that we're even more racist today. Now, I've heard Senator Harris in the debates say that, not in those exact words, and and recently Vice President Biden seems to agree with her. Once again, I think think Mike Pence very respectfully but firmly We'll ask them to explain that because I don't believe most Americans are racist. I don't either. Uh, so we're going to have a 90-minute debate. They have nine topics, 10 minutes each. Way too many. Let this thing breathe. Way too many. We don't know what they are, but we know Susan Page will be the moderator. They'll be 12 feet apart in the plexiglass to show how safe they are. I am so tired of hearing believe the science. And when the scientists say, upon further review, I'm so smart, I went to the best colleges, wear a mask, wash your hands. Thank you. The same thing you told me in February, got to go. Wear a mask, wash your hands. That's the genius that's going to lead us out of the coronavirus hell that we're all in now. And by the way, in New York, they've locked down about 12 different neighborhoods because they've had some positive tests. They should put away people that need protection, protect them, shop for them, Uber Eats, whatever you need, and let other people go to school. That's it. So what I was telling you about before is political reports that Biden received a nationally televised hour-long infomercial. No kidding. On MSNBC. It was a a Biden-leaning crowd, if not a Biden crowd in particular. Biden had the equivalent of a one-hour infomercial that played to the strengths, engaging with respectful, real voters. He has been known to uh, blow his stack when he's actually challenged by people. Remember? Hey, come on, fatty. Remember him yelling at some other guy, you want to do some push-ups? He dished out anecdotes, one-liners, accrued from decades of his public life, the same stories over and over again. The location of the event, dynamics of the race, all but guaranteed going in that he was going to do great. And what does Trump get? George Stephanopoulos stacks the crowd, and the president didn't complain, with people that hate him, getting the hardest questions possible. And the president did not lose his temper. That's why I found it so surprising that he would be so aggressive at the first debate. But I think things will change. And by the way, I'm not telling you that Joe Biden was good. 
because he was not good at this debate. He was not good at that town hall. Listen to some of the some of the things that he said. Listen to him get caught in his own words. Cut seven. Two hundred and ten million, two hundred ten thousand people have died. If you put this mask on between now and January, you'll save a hundred. He said we it's more important than a virus, excuse me, than a vaccine. You know, people have had COVID. I hope you. I'd be, I'd be wonderful. You didn't. I used to stutter when I was a kid. I learned how to fight. I got a nickname. They call me Shoe Leather. I was little, but they could beat me up, but they hurt. I hurt them in the process. Okay, I'd, I'd wait. I'd wait out for another one, guys. Can you stop calling me Shoe Leather? What about Satchel Muggsy, one of the Bowery Boys? Uh, does anyone believe any of these stories, by the way? We already know these stories are full of holes. We know that he wasn't arrested in South Africa. We know that he was pinning a medal on somebody that, in a story that never existed. We also know about what he did in the 80s and 90s to totally destroy just about anybody's reputation. Meanwhile, the, the one with the most fame and acclaim and certainly sold the most books is Michelle Obama. I was shocked. Here we are, 27 days to Election Day, on a Tuesday afternoon, bizarrely, She throws her best right hand at the president. Listen to this. Cut eight. They're stoking fears about black and brown Americans lying about how minorities will destroy the suburbs. And they're pinning it all on what's been an overwhelmingly peaceful movement for racial solidarity. What the president is doing is once again patently false. It's morally wrong. And yes... It is racist. All right. Call the president racist. But that doesn't mean it won't work. Every nine minutes, I believe, some Democrat calls the president a racist. It doesn't work. He's not. And Michelle Obama, in the middle of the day, just releases this tape. It's bizarre. It's like, remember, she cut her DNC tape in July for an August event. Why do we, what are you rushing to get this out for on a Tuesday? Candace Owens, listen to this. What I think, I'll, I'll give you my opinion. They're losing a lot of the black vote. And either they're losing it or they're not showing up. Even though we got a huge early vote turnout, they're not seeing it. Who do they show up for? President Obama. Who do they like better than President Obama? His wife. And that's why she's cutting this tape. I just don't know why she thinks maximum impact is now. Candace Owens, cut nine. Michelle Obama did the exact opposite. She looked at America in a 25-minute video, and she said to Americans, if you don't vote the way that I tell you to vote, it's because you're backwards. It's because you're wrong. It's because this country is inherently wrong and racist. I can think of no, no greater way to completely destroy everything that Barack Obama accomplished in 2008. And it's actually quite sad. So that was uh, Candace Owens. And that's true. And I think of the attorney general in Kentucky and the blowback he's gotten because he's a Republican who supports the president. And I think about Ben Carson, how he gets skewered because he's a Republican and uh, an African-American and Likes the president. I can imagine what Herschel Walker's inbox is like because he's African-American and he supports the president. And I think that's getting the Obamas nervous and it should get the Bidens nervous. Look, they're in a better spot than President Trump, but it ain't over. And now, meanwhile, as disappointed I was with the president's tweet yesterday blowing up the stimulus package. I did not understand why he did it with the market still open. It makes no sense. And if Steve Mnuchin comes back and says, I can't get anywhere, Mark Meadows already gave up. And I would say one thing, but it's not the case yet. And if not, the president and his senators, he needs to keep the Senate. They need the stimulus package because, you know, the people listening to me right now, you listeners out there, you're the ones who need the help. Anybody in the hospitality industry, the airline industry, you've been destroyed through no fault of your own. That's what this is about. And the president just tweeted, Allison. 
He did. So he retweeted his tweet from 10 hours ago with an additional comment. So 10 hours ago, he tweeted, if I sent a standalone bill for stimulus checks of $1,200, they will go to our great people immediately. I'm ready to sign right now. Are you listening, Nancy? To which he then just retweeted saying, move fast. I am waiting to sign Speaker Pelosi. There we go. Um, she, he gave him an out yesterday. She gave her an out yesterday by blowing up the talks. That's the problem. One, she does not want to help him. She wants to wait till November 3rd. She's convinced Joe Biden's going to win. I am not. one 408 I think the turnaround starts tonight. I am convinced Mike Pence can do it. He's extremely bright. He's extremely loyal. He knows the issues. He's a very engaged vice president. Who knows how to defend the president? I'm not sure Kamala Harris knows how to defend Joe Biden, let alone knows what Joe Biden stands for. Mike Pence doesn't need to read biogra- the, uh, the Trump biography. When we come back, I'll take your calls. And then at the bottom of the hour, put a perspective on presidents and illness and public relations with Jay Winnick. And then we'll bring in Carly Shimkus if we can afford her fee. She's normally with Fox News Headlines 24-7. Back in a moment. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Look at the chasm that is open for Joe Biden in the seniors vote. Two national polls, including your NBC Wall Street Journal, showing Joe Biden with a 20 plus point lead, 27 points in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll among 65 plus Americans. Why does this matter? This is a group that helped elect President Trump. He won them by seven points against Hillary Clinton. And so you have a swing like that. No margin of error is going to help you. No hidden voters who don't talk to pollsters are going to help you. You suddenly have a massive problem. 
It is definitely an issue, but he's picked up Hispanic votes. He's picked up, picked up uh, African-American votes, and he's picked up even more uh, high school-educated uh, white votes. And he's going to have to close the gap. And, and I think seniors should understand there's one person looking to hold on to America's values, and there's another senior looking to hold off the next generation of Democrats who really want to destroy the country. Dave, listen on WOKV in Jacksonville, Florida. Dave. Hi. I'm Dave, but I'm from WVMT in Burlington, Vermont. Okay. Are you, are you okay? Uh, you know, let's okay. Tonight, yeah, we I'm hit well the wrong day, but go ahead. What's on your mind? I'm well versed in Spygate. Can't get into everything here, of course, because it's too complex, all the players and everything like that. We just had the D class with the notes from Brennan. And um, I believe, you know, Flynn should be set free. Solomon is crooked and all of that. But here's the question that I, don't, I want Pence to make sure he has an answer to Did Flynn. Lie to him about his involvement with Russia. That's where he got fired in the beginning. That is crucial. I go for truth. I'm a Republican. I believe in America. But I like to play fair. Yep. Uh, yeah, be prepared for that. Thanks, Dave, in Vermont, which, by the way, is the number one destination for people leaving new uh, major cities like New York, uh, Vermont. Dave, listen on WOKV in Jacksonville. Dave. Yeah, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, real quick, I... I want to correct, uh, I would have to classify as a mope that called from Jacksonville yesterday uh, mentioning that you live in Ponte Vedra. Do you recall? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, do you, I guess he thought you had a supersonic uh, Star Wars jet that gets you to New York each morning yeah, and back. Yeah, I'm, I'm on 12, uh, yeah, I'm at 1211 6th Avenue, Dave. What do you think is going to happen tonight? Well, I, I think, uh, I think uh, first of all, Pence is really icy uh, cool. He is. He's, he's kind of cool like Steve McQueen cool on the way he handles himself. And I think I really hope he can get her to start cackling uh, and laughing because uh, that, that could uh, uh, throw her off, off course a little bit. And um, and I think he he will definitely take care of business tonight. He's going to have no problem being polite. He's not going to lose his temper. He's willing to accept the challenges. He knows how to explain the president. And he also knows how to explain the coronavirus. And he knows right now he could be uh, the cleanup hitter that turns everything around. That leadoff homer that sets the tone. Because the president's got a rally right now. He's made some self, he had some self-inflicted wounds. And I'm not talking about coronavirus. Blowing up that stimulus package yesterday, the way he did it, was wrong. It was not smart. Because he's leaving a lot of senators in states out to dry who need some help. Because, Dave, if you are a landscaper, you're fine. You know, if you're a, uh, if you're a, if you're a, uh, if you're a realtor, you're okay. Not a commercial realtor, but residential. If you're in my job, I'm okay. But if you're in anything to do with hospitality, if you're in mass transportation, forget it. If you drive an Uber or a, a town car, you're out of luck. People need some help. And it's not their fault that they need help. Patty, listening on, or watching on Fox Nation. Hey, Patty. Hey, Brian. Thanks for watching. Um, What's on your mind? Hey, just curious with the latest revelations on the Trump dossier, what was Comey's angle on the Hillary server decision and his reversal? Uh, on the server decision and his reversal, that there's a lot into that. With, with, here's the new part that you should understand. They picked... 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Up that a f- agent of Hillary Clinton, a foreign policy friend, it's got to be Sidney Blumenthal, I'm sure, who's said to create a distraction for those 30,000 emails that you put on your private server, why don't we set up a link between an investigation into Trump and Russia? And that was July. Do you know they had a FISA warrant for Carter Page weeks after, later on, Papadopoulos, and then others like Michael Flynn would be tracked? And then they'd see Valiskaya going to meet with Trump, and next thing you know, they have a full-blown covert investigation along the way. And instead of it being incidental, we saw something and we followed it. It looks like they could have set it up. And we already know, Patty, that the DNC and Hillary Clinton paid for the dossier. We know that for a fact. That's not opinion. But John Brennan's notes show that the CIA picked up on it and was briefing the president. That's indisputable. And guess who else was there? Susan Rice. And I'm just curious about Joe Biden. When we come back, Jay Winnick, putting all this COVID-19 in perspective. Don't move in history. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Has he ever been on supplemental oxygen? He, right now, he is not on I oxygen. You, I know you keep saying That's right now, right. but should we read into the fact that he had been treated? Yesterday and today, he was not on oxygen. So he has not been on it during this his COVID treatment? He's he's not on oxygen right now. Over the course of his illness, the president has experienced two episodes of transient drops in his oxygen saturation. Thursday night into Friday morning when I left the bedside, the president was doing well, with only mild symptoms, and his oxygen was in the high 90s. Late Friday morning when I returned to the bedside, the president had a high fever, and his oxygen saturation was transiently dipping below 94%. Yesterday, uh, there was another episode where he dropped down about 93 percent. So we had trouble getting the facts out for President Trump. Is this the first time a president's had uh, medical challenges and we didn't get the facts? Not by a long shot. Jay Winnick knows this well. He's one of America's esteemed historians. Best in the business. He uh, he has written books like April 1865 and 1944. Jay, welcome back. Brian, always great to be here. Hey, Jake, we put this in perspective. Some of the, the information come out of Walter Reed. People are outraged that they weren't getting all the facts right away. Should they be? No. If anything, you see that the norm with presidents is that they have health problems. And more often than not, they're the picture of deception about how they're doing. And it's unthinkable by today's standards. In many ways, what's happening with President Trump is he's actually far more transparent than most presidents have been in the past. If we take FDR, for example, he's, he's the classic example. 
It turns out that unknown to the American people, he was paralyzed by polio and he was in a wheelchair since 1921. The American people never knew that they were electing, not once, not twice, but four times over an invalid. There was a gentleman's agreement, it turns out, between the press and FDR never to show pictures of his shriveled legs. Not once was this agreement ever violated. Again, remarkable if you think about it by today's standards. Also, think about this. Didn't he run for re-election and he knew he was terminal for the last time? He knew he wasn't going to make it through? Well, he pretty much knew it, but he did it anyway. In fact, if we, if we back up just a little bit, in 1944, with two of the most profound events of the war about to happen, the invasion of D-Day, as well as FDR's election for a fourth term, it turns out FDR was deeply ill. He had a hacking cough that wouldn't go away, a fever that wouldn't quit. He could barely sign his name on documents. And, in fact, several times he had been found in the Oval Office having fallen out of his chair by the Secret Service. And his eyes were glassy, and he could barely eat. And when asked how he felt, he would say, I feel like hell. And not unlike Trump, he was taken to Bethesda Naval for a full workup by Dr. Bruin. And it turned out he had heart disease, and if changes weren't made, he'd be dead within a year. And he was dead by April 1945. And what did the press do? Well, the White House arranged a press conference between FDR and the press. And it turned out to be nothing but a dog and pony show. FDR smiled, and he joked, and he patted his tummy, and he said, I feel much better. And the next day, the New York Times reported, FDR's color has returned. He's looking well. They asked no follow-up questions, and the same with the persistent rumors, as you were saying, Brian, about his illness when he ran for president for a fourth time. And what about Woodrow Wilson? This guy was in the middle. He was president of the last pandemic. He got it. He got the Spanish flu. We never knew it. Oh, and not only that, I mean, here's Wilson just fascinating. He's cold, he's brusque, he was arrogant, and he was the man who governed America through the Spanish flu in the end of World War I. And it turns out in his case, his great passion was the League of Nations, which he hoped would bring peace to the world, and he tirelessly campaigned for it, going from state to state and country to country. But what happened was in 1919, he had a stroke that left him partially paralyzed. The country never knew about it in a ruse unthinkable, by, again, by today's standards. It turned out that his wife, Edith Wilson, basically ran the country until 1921. And Thomas Marshall, the vice president, never stepped in. I guess of note, the 25th Amendment had not yet been ratified, so there was some murkiness. But could you imagine wow. the president's wife running the country? Dwight Eisenhower worshipped in war, as, and as president, cut one. President Eisenhower, on a vacation in Denver, appeared the picture of health enjoying his favorite sport on a sparkling western day. Planning to return to Washington shortly, he seemed well rested. Then, to Fitzsimmons Army Hospital, the president was rushed, suffering from a sudden heart attack. In the Denver church where he worshiped, in churches and in synagogues everywhere, a nation joined in prayer for its president. Vice President Nixon faced new responsibilities, and Americans watched the hospital room in Denver. But we didn't find out about that heart attack right away, did we? No, we didn't. And, um, and then it's, it's, it's really funny. Eventually, when we did find out, um, Eisenhower, to allay any concerns, I mean, of course, remember, Eisenhower was the great general who presided over the D-Day victory, as well as the surrender of the Nazis. Well, he wore a red shirt emblazoned with the words, much better, thanks. 
Next, uh, Ike, and, uh, Ike and his wife, Mammy, returned to Washington. Here's how it sounded. Cut two. The Columbine brought President Eisenhower back to a cheering Washington in November. It was 48 days after his heart attack that the president stepped from the plane, leaner but well along the road to recovery. The Capitol's welcome sign was out, and it was a day of celebration. Crowds lined Pennsylvania Avenue to hail the president's return. So this could be this could be something that you could get momentum from because people say, well, he's human, right? Absolutely. What it does is it he becomes human. He kind of touches the soul and the hearts of American people. And the American people then see you when you're sick in a very different limelight. I mean, they can identify with it. And, and, and I think it can create a bond that can really kind of shift the momentum of a political race. Who can uh, most of our listeners can remember this. Cut three. Shots were fired apparently at President Reagan as he was coming out of the Washington Hilton Hotel this afternoon. The president was not hit. He was wounded. God, he was, the president was hit. He is in stable condition. All this information, the, the president was hit. And we found out it ricocheted off the door. It hit him and he did collapse in the hospital. But um, I'll tell you what, uh, Jay Winnick, we didn't find out about that for a long time. No, there was a lot of confusion, and it, it was a, a kind of an incredible incident when you think about it. Reagan himself thought not that he was hit by a bullet, but that he somehow cracked a rib. But they made a, a, a snap judgment at the time that they weren't going to take him back to the White House, but to the emergency room at George Washington University Hospital. And there, at that point, it was fascinating. Ronald Reagan insisted upon walking in on his own accord. Of course, when he was taken into emergency surgery, he quipped to his surgeon, quote, I hope you are a Republican. And the surgeon responded, today, Mr. President, we are all Republicans. But the world didn't know just how close that Reagan had really come to death. And then at the same time, temporarily, the business of governing fell to George Bush, who was on an airplane flying back from Fort Worth. But as it turns out, there was a great deal of confusion when Secretary of State Al Haig announced from the White House, that he was in charge. In fact, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Who is making the decisions for the government right now? Who's making the decisions? Constitutionally, gentlemen, you have the president, the vice president, and the secretary of state in that order. And should the president decide he wants to transfer the helm to the vice president, he he will do so. As of now, I am in control here in the White House, pending return of the vice president and in, in close touch with him. So he was in control. A little bit of confusion there, right? Yeah, there was a lot of confusion. And and when you remember, this was at the height of the Cold War when the possibility of war and peace hung in the balance and the possibility of nuclear war actually hung in the balance. So the stakes really were kind of very high. Lastly, uh, we did not know about JFK's challenges. He took multiple medications. He had an extremely bad back, right? I think this is fascinating. The, all the world thought they knew JFK well, that he was the picture of vitality and health, and they were always seeing the newsreels and the photos of him, of him and the Kennedys playing football in Martha's Vineyard. But it was all a sham. It turns out that JFK had Addison's disease, a disorder of the adrenal glands, and he had this debilitating back pain. And aided by his doctor in the White House, and by the way, his doctor was a bit of a quack, JFK became addicted to a cocktail of painkillers that affected mental functioning. And when you consider that he was negotiating for the U.S. during the, the 13 tense days of the Cuban Missile Crisis, when nuclear war and peace hung in the balance, 
you can see just how high the stakes were and how dangerous this was in the nuclear age. Once again, all this was kept from the public. Wait, Jay, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that that was kept from the public. We don't find out till later. Reagan shot, don't find out till later. FDR was crippled, we don't find out till later. But yet with Trump, if they didn't find out about whether they, we still don't know whether his lung function is back 110% or not, there's outrage. Have we always had this outrage on the other side? I always used to remember there was a sense of unity, at least for a moment. That seems gone. Yeah, no, it, it, it really is kind of unfortunate that it does seem gone because in the past, there, the benefit of the doubt was invariably given to the president who was sick and who was suffering. And now, nowadays, I mean, I would argue that in, in Trump's case, while there have been some bumps in the road and they haven't gotten everything just perfect, um, they've been pretty, pretty transparent, which is impressive by historical standards, because by historical standards, Virtually all other presidents have not been very transparent. Yeah, that's uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a shame. And also, you talk about William McKinley was shot, and they said it was pneumonia. It wasn't pneumonia. There was some deception there, and we didn't know about Lincoln's health either. Lincoln had was suffering from bouts of depression. Oh yeah, Lincoln was roaming the halls of the White House, his his head his head down to his chest, his hands behind his back, and he was just be muttering over and over again saying i must have relief from this anxiety or it will kill me and he was so depressed and so exhausted and worn and weary from the wear and tear of of the civil war that he actually lost 30 pounds and he looked so bad that the new york times would later editorialize that they couldn't see how he would even make it through a second term of course he didn't make it but that was because of an assassin's bullet from john wilkes booth yeah, uh, of course. And in the in the big picture with Lincoln, we didn't know a lot, but uh, then I understood it. The country was actually divided in half, but also goes to show you that everyone's got challenges. Also, with Lincoln, he's dealing with the loss of his uh, of his son. Correct? Oh yeah, it was it was terrible for him. I mean, it it, it left him disconsolate, and and even more so his wife, who was was so depressed and so so hurt by the whole affair. That um, that at one point Lincoln actually said to to Mary, he he, he pointed to an, an insane asylum not far from the White House, and he said, "If you keep this up, I'm going to have to put you there." That's how depressed everyone was. Pick up Jay Winnick's eighteen uh, April eighteen sixty five and nineteen forty four. They're great. Jay, always great to have you on. Brian, always great, always great to be on your show. And uh, and my son BC, who's your biggest fan, says hello. All right, tell him I'm back at him. I look forward to seeing you both again soon. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. It's been a while since I even saw in the halls face-to-face, but it's true. Carly Shimkus is here for a special appearance of More to Know. Hello. How are you? I'm great. I'm learning how to cook. Really? Yes. And you had no idea before? Nope. Didn't know what salt was or butter. So what made you want to cook? Because? Because uh, everybody's home, and yeah, I was bored, and I figured and you, I'd learn. And, and you couldn't am, even go to a restaurant. I am doing very well. Really? I think I have a hidden talent. So where did you cook first? Do you remember like uh, the first few things? Well, uh, this past weekend I made a chicken pot pie. 
and it turned out delicious. Yourself? Yeah. That means you made the crust? No, that was Pillsbury. But oh, okay. I made the filling, and it worked out. Did you put the top on? Yes, Did Pillsbury I did. make the top? Pillsbury made the top. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, but I read, I, I know this isn't why I'm on to talk, but I right. read uh, in the online recipe that only fools make their crust because it, you don't need to. Because Pillsbury will do it for you. Right. but And you can still take the credit. But on that premise, why are you eating? Why are you cooking at all? <laughs> Somebody else will cook for you, Carly. I mean, where do you draw the line on that? Yeah, very good point. Let's find out. Not if that isn't enough. Okay. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Ladies first. With right. Carly Shimkus. Okay, so uh, President Trump is getting a lot of criticism for telling people not to be afraid of the coronavirus, yes. especially on social media. Now, Ilhan Omar said it was an evil statement. Uh, Connecticut Senator uh, um, uh, uh, Chris Murphy said that it kind of displayed some privilege because he got extra special care. Uh, And then, of course, conservatives, his supporters are saying this is exactly why I like the president. You know, he's he is saying that you can't cower in fear. This virus is here to stay. We just have to learn to live with it. I actually think that from a political standpoint, his message was almost perfect. I think he should have said you have to take this virus seriously. But we can't live in fear because I we are going to get through this together as a nation. As the president, I'm going to lead you through this. Right. Uh, but, you know, the because we can't live in fear. Yeah. We already tried that. Yeah. It's not working. Nine months of living half a life doesn't work. Yeah. I like what Sweden did. And not because you could be Swedish. I like what Sweden did. They did not lock down. Yeah. No, I know. You're right. And um, I believe they had sort of a similar problem as New York is facing, where their record was almost near perfect in terms of the fact that uh, they they were able to maintain the spread and, you know, people got it, they recovered, however, their older population suffered. Right. Uh, they did salt them away, uh, but they still died uh, in some cases. Next, a study that will shock me because I'm saying it two days in a row, but never to you. Yeah. We are not alone. It turns out if we want to move to another planet, there are 24 planets, going to Washington State University's uh, key scientist. His name is Dirk Schultz-Makuch. Uh, he said they found 24 interstellar contenders that are better than Earth for us. Wow. In what way? Um, they're wetter. <laughs> Not today. I guess that's good. <laughs> uh, they're wetter and have more types of life. But the problem is, by the time they're, uh, they're uh, older, larger, warmer, and wetter than Earth. Wow. Okay, so they're like big tropical rainforests. More places to visit and vacation. And more, and more, Once you're there. More life, huh? Right. The only negative, by the time we got there, we'd be dead. Okay. Because it's yeah, 100 that's... light years away, and we don't live that long. If you could ship anybody to a planet, who would it be? That's a loaded question. Right. I, I, I think you. I'm going to move. Okay. Next. All right. Uh, Walter Reed Medical Center, our nation's largest military center, in the hot seat today. Yes. Uh, Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin posted a tweet saying Congress might want to defund Walter Reed. It is a public health hazard. I wonder how injured soldiers feel about Walter Reed being a a public health hazard. That's not all. Uh, Maureen Dowd, New York Times, said when Trump walked through the door, Walter Reed had a stellar reputation. As he walks out 72 hours later, it's a reputation in tatters. There's nothing Trump can't ruin. People in the media have lost their minds over Trump's coronavirus coverage. If he died in Walter Reed... That would be the problem. But the fact that he survived, quickly recovered, and ended up back at home, that bothers his enemies. Unbelievable. Right. And Jennifer Rubin is an alleged conservative. Yeah, I know. She, I think she 
I mean, there's no way that she is. Uh, but, you know, they're attacking everything from when he wears a mask to when he goes into a car to he was signing apparently an alleged blank piece of paper in, during, in one of the Twitter pictures that, you know, purported to show that he was working. That was also a big criticism. Um, it, it's just, it, it, you got to stop at some point. They overdo it. Yeah. Next, and I think you would find this is true, the pen is mightier than the keyboard. Researchers in, Nor- in the Norwegian University of Science and Technology say that both children and adults learn more and remember more when they write things absolutely, down yeah. instead of typing things mm-hmm. out. Absolutely. You think that's true? Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely, because it takes longer. You know, you're committing it to memory as opposed to just pressing on a keyboard. When I was in college once, my college roommate told me that I write like a serial killer, and I'll never forget it. Really? Yeah. Not? Nothing's ever been proven? No, absolutely and not. And no one around you has been murdered? Innocent. I plead absolute innocence. I'm glad you no longer live with her. <laughs> Assuming it's a woman. Yeah. Uh, is it my turn? Yes. Okay. As if 2020 isn't strange enough, there will be two full moons in the month of October. One already happened. Another is happening on Halloween. Promise to text me and tell me to look up. I will. Carly Shimkus, thanks for being you. Yes. It was good to see you in person. The night sky is as beautiful as this conversation. Back in a moment. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Here we go, everybody, from New York and heard around the country. Sorry about that reverb. Uh, This is uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a a wild show today because coming up tonight, it'll be the vice presidential debate. Also, we're keeping an eye on this hurricane, uh, this garing force. They say it's called Delta, and they say it's now going to be Category 4. Look out, Gulf Coast. We have so many great listeners there. The the, uh, Louisiana Governor Edwards will be holding a media uh, a media briefing shortly, so we'll take a look at that. And now we know that Vice President Pence, as well as Senator Harris, will be behind plexiglass 12 feet apart. A lot on the line. I believe that Mike Pence has to come up big, and I think he can. Keep in mind, you can always get our show by going to BrianKillMeShow.com if you find yourself traveling, or you want to pick it up on Radio.com and get that anywhere. That's an app you can download. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We know that Hillary Clinton not only invented the Russia hoax, she financed the Russia hoax, she disseminated the Russia hoax, and Barack Obama knew it. Uh, that is Greg Jarrett, closer to answers, declassifying John, Bremo's, John Brennan's memos show a plot by Hillary to link Trump to Russia to distract from her email scandal. That's not my words. Those are his words. The pushback and the bizarre explanation from Brennan himself. Will the sinister plot finally be unveiled or actually debunked? Number two. The president said he would stop talks aimed at helping Americans through this pandemic and then appeared to reverse course. On Twitter, he did call for his negotiators to walk away. That message immediately sent stocks into a nosedive and drew sharp criticism from members of both parties. Wow. Uh, rescue package needs CPR. As President Trump closes the uh, closes and opens doors via tweets, all I know is people need some help and Pelosi's delay of game and the president's tweets don't help. It helps her delay of game. Meanwhile, 45 is showing nothing but improvement in his recovery from COVID-19 as more White House aides test positive. 
Number one. It's an extremely important debate at this moment because of the two top people on the tickets. You have one, the 74-year-old president who just got out of the hospital, and the other who would be 78 on Inauguration Day, by far the oldest president ever to begin his term in office. So it is a big deal. And Byron York, well, Joe Biden looks every day of it, the VP show tonight. The pressure is on Pence to give the Trump campaign something they have not had in weeks, and that's momentum. While the media works with Biden to make the 77-year-old look adequate, now the facts reveal that NBC's town hall a couple of nights ago of undecided voters a couple of nights ago was actually packed with Biden supporters and voters. Unbelievable how he gets away with this. Uh, let's bring in Mercedes Schlapp. She plays a dominant role with the Trump campaign. Mercedes, welcome back. Thank you for having me. So what's your assignment? Are you back on the caravan, on the bus, traveling around the battleground states? <laughs> uh, I'm leaving. Actually, tonight we're leaving to Pennsylvania. I'm with Laura Trump and Katrina Pearson, uh, and we'll be all day in the Pittsburgh area and uh, really looking forward to getting back on the campaign trail with our nice big pink mask that, we, that we'll be wearing. <laughs> so what changes now that the president cannot campaign? Well, we've launched uh, Operation MAGA following the VP's uh, presidential debate. He's heading to Arizona to kick this off. And then we're also uh, sending and deploying the first family, top-level surrogates across the country. We've got two buses going. uh, They've been going actually over close to 70 days, and they're continuing till the day of the election throughout. And, you know, one of the things that we're focused on is, is talking about how the president, he's been fighting for us. And now it's our turn to fight for him, uh, get him to the finish line, make sure that we're victorious come November 3rd. And it's really our opportunity to uh, hone in on the get, you know, get out the vote efforts in these critical states. Real Career Average has in Pennsylvania Biden up by six. But the last poll had him up by 12 after the president's debate and the and the confirmation that he had the coronavirus. Well, do you believe it's uh, Pennsylvania's heading in the wrong direction? Is that why you're going? You know, I don't. We've been in Pennsylvania, as we know, it is going to be one of the more important states. And and we're focused there, as we are in other states like North Carolina, Florida, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Arizona. But, you know, we we do believe and I was actually talking to one of the political operatives there. And he said, just think about in 2016, we didn't even have really a ground game in Pennsylvania. Now we have a real ground game. We've got volunteers deployed. They're knocking on doors. They're making phone calls. And so there is a very strong presence in Pennsylvania. And obviously, in all the internal polls that we're seeing in many of these targeted states, the president's either tied or leading. So we're going to trust our internal polls. They were right in 2016. They're going to be right again in 2020. And, uh, you know, we've seen what happened in 2016 with all these other polls. They were completely wrong. And I think that that's going to be the big surprise. It's kind of, I find it interesting whenever, uh, you know, media types talk about a CNN poll. And I'm like, let me tell you something. I don't think any Trump supporter is going to respond to a CNN poll. I surely would not. So, you know, we do feel that there is uh, definitely right. a sense from our end that the Trump voter is out, is going to go out there. We are the silent majority, although they are more vocal in 2020 than they ever were in 2016. And, you know, I think we'll we'll at the end we'll win Pennsylvania. And I think we're going to definitely uh, win November 3rd. Mike Allen weighed in and, you know, goes inside the numbers. Axios is Mike Allen, former of Playbook years ago. Uh, cut 12 on, he says, where the Trump team is hurting. Look at the chasm that is open for Joe Biden in the seniors' vote. Two national polls, including your NBC 
Wall Street Journal showing Joe Biden with a 20 plus point lead, 27 points in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll among 65 plus Americans. Why does this matter? This is a group that helped elect President Trump. He won them by seven points against Hillary Clinton. And so you have a swing like that. No margin of error is going to help you. No hidden voters who don't talk to pollsters are going to help you. You suddenly have a massive problem. So uh, Mike Allen saying with the numbers say you've seen that number, Mercedes. Yes. Yeah, you know, obviously we are working hard to win the senior vote. I think there's been a lot of uh, false information that Joe Biden is pushing out there that the president is trying to cut Social Security and Medicare funding. That is completely inaccurate. Uh, We've been pushing back on that. And obviously we know that the president always has focused on protecting Social Security and Medicare. It's actually the Democrats that in supporting Medicare for All, which let me remind you, Kamala is an original co-sponsor of Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All, that that would lead to Medicare cuts uh, for seniors. So it's, it's, we're going to keep continuing to work with these voters, court them, talk about the messaging, and win them over to our side. So does it make your job harder that this stimulus package blew up? It doesn't matter who's to blame. There's so many innocent people, restaurant owners, hotel workers, Uh, anybody involved in transportation that are paying the price, commercial real estate, the bottom fell out. So what do you say to those people? And I know you used to work in Washington. You don't need more. But what do you say to those people as you try to win them over that the president tweeted out yesterday that we broke off negotiations? Well, I mean, we're also making sure that the people are American people are aware that it's Nancy Pelosi that refuses to negotiate in good faith. Uh, You know, there's plenty of ways to, to, you know, carve this, carve this, which is you could do standalone bills, which would be providing support to the airline industries, to small businesses, providing more stimulus money to uh, American families and individuals. And so uh, Nancy Pelosi knows this. She's so clouded by her own political ambition of trying to destroy President Trump. And so she has no reason to uh, work with the, the White House and the team. We've been trying for months. And, you know, I've seen her firsthand when we've done a lot of these different types of negotiations, and she's the one that walks out and she's the one that refuses to negotiate with the president. So I think, you know, it's a big problem that we're seeing with the Democrats, and it's why we want to continue to stress the importance that, look, come back to the table, Nancy. Let's get this done. We know we can do this by standalone bills. It'll be an easy way to get the money to the American people. Uh, and, and, and get it done now. So here's what uh, the president tweeted out. The House and Senate should immediately approve $25 billion for airline payroll support, $135 billion for paycheck protection, but it will be fully paid for with unused funds from the CARES Act. Have this money, I will sign it. But she wants a lot more, and she does know that she was losing some, she was losing, uh, some Democrats by holding out this long. But did the president give her an out by saying, I'm ordering my people to focus on confirming a Supreme Court justice, not this? No, I'll tell you, because you know where, obviously, these this type of stimulus bills start. They start in the House. So the Senate can continue to work on getting Amy Coney Barrett confirmed. House can get this passed pretty quickly. Um, but we know that her she, that Nancy Pelosi is not willing to move forward on this. I think he's giving her, you know, and quite frankly, I think the Democrats need to put pressure on Nancy and say, 
look, we got to get this done for the American people. They got to break from Nancy because the problem is, is that she is holding it up for political reasons, reasons while the president has said, let's get these standalone bills done. Let's help the small businesses. Let's help the airline industries. Let's help these uh, these American families that are in need of this extra stimulus money and, and really get it going. So I think that, you know, getting Nancy there, I think, is going to be challenging. They've tried for months and she won't budge because she just wants to right. bail out these failed states and these failed local governments. We're not going to do that. Congressman Adam Schiff weighed in because the president tweet came out of nowhere. Uh, it seemingly because Steve Mnuchin wasn't asking for him to break off negotiations. Here's what Adam Schiff said. Cut 17. Uh, And, of course, there have been a lot of questions uh, about the president's decision-making and the clarity or lack of clarity in his own thinking right now when he's battling this virus. On the best of days, the president's thinking isn't too sound. Uh, So if there's any impairment, uh, it's a real problem. Is there any impairment? I'm really moved by Adam Schiff's concern. I never believe that Adam Schiff has ever cared for the president, not an inch for the president. Uh, What he needs to be thinking about is the impairment that comes from Joe Biden's side. Uh, But we know that the president has tried and his team, they've really tried to get this work done on the economic stimulus package. But we know that uh, Speaker Pelosi doesn't want these checks to go out to the American people. Uh, she doesn't want to help the president. She doesn't, and so that's why she just continues to drag it on. Uh, they they but, believe she's going to win November third, and she she's going to get the Senate, and she will not have yeah. to deal with the president again. Exactly. I think that's exa- you're, you're right. I mean, that's exactly the goal. And I think that it just at the end of the day, it is the American people who are suffering, and we just got to keep fighting for them and seeing what we can do to try to get these standalone bills done. I mean, we've already uh, talked about a one point, you know, six trillion dollar, one point four trillion dollar stimulus package. They rejected it. She failed to budge. Uh, and at the end of the day, the president felt it was better to be transparent with the right. American. But people. she went down from three point four to two point four. She says, yeah, but it was still about bailing out these states and these local governments exactly. that have failed tremendously. And we weren't going to do that. That's not the job of the federal Mercedes, government. Right now, you know, the West Wing has been devastated by the coronavirus. The latest one, Jalen Drummond, tested positive of COVID-19. Kaylee, two days ago, has tested positive. Press deputies Chad Gilmartin and Caroline Levitt have also reportedly tested positive for the virus. What is going on with the protocols there when you left? And I'm, these are all your friends. And I know you're concerned about their welfare, but they're young. They're most likely going to be, and I hope, they're going to be great. Uh, but for a while, they're going to be down when they're really needed because their president's on the rehab, too. So what's going on there with protocols? Do you believe they have to be revisited? Well, I think they have uh, revisited. I know that uh, our chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was out earlier where he talked about how they're moving forward with some additional protocols uh, to ensure that people are not, you know, in in big groups, as you know very well, the West Wing is a very tight space. There's not a lot of room. You're actually working on top of almost on top of each other uh, because it's just small hallways, very tiny offices. And so the key is, is that they're taking the additional steps to ensure that they're wearing the mask, that they're socially distancing where they can. And, you know, Kaylee's still working from home. Stephen Miller's still working from home. I mean, here at the campaign, Bill Stepien, we've, I've been in contact with him several times. You know, we're in contact with our, the leadership here at the campaign, and we're, we're going full speed ahead, as is the White House. I mean, the president, as we know, you know this very clearly, he works harder than anyone else. 
He's not going to stop working. He's had me, you know, he's had, he's been in conversations with his advisors and continuing to push on, on the importance of, for example, getting the therapeutics out the door as quickly as possible, you know, focusing on vaccine development on the coronavirus. And Mercedes, have you or Matt talked to the president since he's got the virus? No, I have not. I've been in talk. To, I've been in contact with Mark Meadows, our chief of staff, obviously with Bill Sepian, uh, just keeping tabs. I, I haven't wanted to bother the president right now, um, but you know, we know that he's in good spirits. He's very. He has good energy. He's really itching and ready to get back on the campaign trail. We obviously want to make sure we follow the doctor's orders on that. Uh, but you know, we, look, he's done remarkably well, and he's focused on defeating this virus. And you know, I got to tell you, for you know, we've all been impacted this, by this, Brian. And I've seen my kids suffer. My, you know, we had actually, uh, sadly, uh, two suicides happen. One in our community, another one of a young teenager with friends that we know. Just tragic. And these kids are just. It's like COVID fatigue. They're, they don't. They, they feel like they're losing everything, and so we gotta provide this this message of hope. This message that we're gonna fight this thing. That we're gonna come up with a vaccine. That we're gonna get through this together. I don't want to have a defeatist attitude. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to gotcha. lock down. You know the way Joe Biden is saying, and I think that it's very important to know that it is President Trump who is gonna work on defeating the virus. It, I just think Joe Biden's record clearly shows as he did with his failures with the swine flu, handling the swine flu, that he is not equipped in any right. way to handle this global pandemic. Yeah, the rest of the country's got to see that. So far, they haven't. Uh, Mercedes Schlapp, always great to get your insight and, uh, and your incredible energy. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Uh, when we come back, your calls, one 408 Then Andy McCarthy makes heads or tails of the new revelations of the Brennan memos that are now public. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I look like a socialist. Look, I'm the guy that ran against the socialists. Remember, I got in trouble in the whole campaign. 20-some candidates. Joe Biden was too centrist, too moderate, too straightforward. That was Joe Biden. I have taken on the very people that, in fact, we're worried about. And then signed a memo of understanding and changed the whole platform to make Bernie Sanders happy. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders has weighed in. Yesterday he came out and says, I will be, if we win the Senate, I'll be in control of health care for the country. Is Joe Biden going to stop that? Listen to Sanders. some other remarks Sanders has made. The Democrats gain control of the Senate. You're looking at the chairman of the subcommittee on health. And trust me that the health care industry and the drug companies will understand a very new reality when that happens. Right. Fantastic. Uh, you happy? That's what you're going to get. Hey, go ahead. You're upset at the president's tweets. That's what you're going to get in response. Just understand, the, the alternative isn't Dwight Eisenhower. Peter, listening on the Fox News Radio app in New York. Peter. Hey, Brian. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I just wanted to... Uh... Point, uh, make a comment on the upcoming debate. I think uh, Mike, Mike Pence might be the ace in the hole for the Republicans. He's a laid-back, good-looking guy, and uh, he's had experience as a talk show host, I guess, and uh, he seems to be pretty uh, pretty good. 
Yeah, it's true. I think he's going to be great. And I think he's going to be great because he's so composed. He understands the president, understands the issues. Pete, I'm with you. Terry, Indianapolis. Terry. Oh, I'm sorry, Terry. Hold right there. My bad. We're coming up against a break. Andy McCarthy's next. Then I'm going to lead with Terry to finish out this hour. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 Inside the Russia investigation, just a moment. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It is appalling, his selective declassification of information that clearly is designed to advance the political interests of Donald Trump and uh, Republicans who are aligned with him. Uh, That is a little of John Brennan's pushback when the memos that he wrote were authenticated and released because they reveal, and I'll just summarize, they reveal that the CIA has found that the Hillary Clinton camp in an effort to deflect from attention on her email server was looking at promoting links between the Trump campaign and Russia, which we found out was put forward with Operation uh, Crossfire Hurricane. Andrew McCarthy here, Fox News contributor, assistant former U.S. assistant attorney for the Southern District of New York, author of Ball of Collusion, The Plot uh, to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Andy, what changed with the revelations about the exposure of these memos? I think we're just the paper trail is catching up to uh, what what a number of us argued all along, which is that there was a uh, Clinton conceived Clinton campaign conceived narrative to blame Trump for Russia's hacking of the Democratic email accounts. Uh, that was uh, pushed by the CIA and ultimately the FBI, uh, and that was the it was really an evidence-free allegation that was uh, sort of concocted based on a bunch of um, uh, mostly benign uh, contacts between people who were connected to Trump and people who were connected to Russia that had utterly nothing to do with the hacking of the DNC email accounts, but that they weaved into a corrupt conspiracy for public consumption. So what happened is John Brennan gets word of this, and he gives a verbal briefing to President Obama. As John Radcliffe brought up, they want to say, well, this was Russian disinformation. Radcliffe says, wait a second, you go brief President Obama on Russian disinformation? They talk about a foreign uh, agent of Hillary Clinton's recommending she do this it's got to be Sidney Blumenthal. This guy's part of every insidious plot. We know he was all over this Libyan investigation and telling everybody how to spin out of Benghazi. But here's John Brennan trying to explain it to us. Cut 23. These were my notes from the 2016 period when I briefed President Obama and the rest of the National Security Council team about what the Russians were up to. And I was giving examples of the type of access that the U.S. intelligence community had to Russia. Russian information and what the Russians were talking about and alleging. All right. Uh, Does that explain away what he's talking about? 
Well, it it, it explains it explains some of it, but you know you gotta you gotta take a step back. But let's let's be clear. Let's assume, for argument's sake, we don't know this for a fact, Brian, that um, the Russians were not putting this out for our consumption. Brennan seems to be saying um, this is something that the you know this shows that we had insight into what the Russians were thinking. So obviously. There's at least a strong possibility that this is something the Russians were actually saying among themselves, and that is that they they assessed on the basis of everything they were seeing and hearing that Hillary Clinton had authorized her campaign to go forward with this narrative about Trump. Now, what else do we know? We know that uh, Hillary's campaign was likely penetrated by Russian intelligence because she retained steel. This is her fault, by the way. She brings in this British, this former British agent whose clients are Russian oligarchs and who we now know his primary source of information about Trump is a guy that the FBI suspected was a Russian spy. From the Brookings so Institute, re- a left-wing think tank. Right. So, But, but we have, the point is we have every reason to think that the Russians had insight into the thinking of the Clinton campaign through Steele. I'm not saying that Steele was an, a witting – Russian asset, but but you know they were they had their uh, paws into them. Um, also, this is not rocket science. This is not hard to figure out. If you line up the timeline on July 22nd, the the emails from the DNC that were hacked get publicized by uh, WikiLeaks. Right. Two days later, Robbie Mook, who is Clinton's campaign manager, publicly blames Trump for the hack. So clearly there was a calculation that was going on within the Clinton campaign at that time to blame Russia, to, to blame Trump for the hack. And we know that they had already retained steel for the purpose of digging up Russian dirt on Trump. So they had the Trump-Russia thing humming to begin with. And then right after the Democratic emails come out, steel writes one of his ridiculous dossier reports, which blames the hack on Trump, which is precisely what the Clinton campaign's script was. So how stupid do we think the Russians are? This isn't a a case of Russian disinformation. This is like Russia seeing two and two out there and saying, gee, I think that makes four. Yeah, uh, here is the explanation John Brennan gives to that. Cut 22. If, in fact, what the Russians were alleging, that Hillary was trying to highlight the reported uh, connections between Trump and the Russians, if, in fact, that was accurate, and that's a big if, there is nothing at all illegal about that. Radcliffe and others are trying to portray this as potentially unlawful activity that deserved follow-up investigation by the FBI. No, it was a campaign activity. Well, let me say this, Brian. Brennan is right about one thing, and that is that Ratcliffe confused the issue in his letter last week when he said that there was a referral, an investigative referral that was made to the FBI. As I explained in a column that I just posted at National Review, that document is not an investigative referral. It is a memorandum from the CIA to the FBI documenting what the so-called Crossfire Hurricane Fusion Center, uh, which involves the CIA, is generating about 
you know, relevant information to the to the what was then the Trump Russia investigation that the FBI called Crossfire Hurricane. It was not an investigative referral in the sense that we usually think of that, which is you refer something to the FBI because you think it needs investigation and prosecution. What it was was the CIA was providing information at the FBI's request under circumstances where there was this thing called the Fusion Center, which Brennan had put together in order to try to uh, either collect or generate information about Trump and Russia. But my point here is they weren't trying to investigate Hillary for this. They were in league with Hillary on the script that Trump was responsible for Russia's hacking of the DNC accounts. Um, so the idea that this was a criminal referral it, it was misleading, um, but the, the truth of the matter is actually much worse. Fascinating. So I just read through Peter Strzok's book just to see what, how he's going to explain himself. And he thoroughly right. believes he was misportrayed. He was doing the Lord's work and trying to unearth connections he know exist between Vladimir Putin and President Trump still. And but you won't testify about it. And Andy McCabe canceling today's hearing because he's worried about his welfare and only wants to do it in purpose is laughable because Comey said a bunch of I don't knows and Sally Yates said I never knew. So that leaves Andy McCabe to you have to know uh, either that or he'll have to implicate others. But I want to bring you to something else. They have a huge emphasis in this investigation on Papadopoulos, more than Carter Page on Papadopoulos. He was the one who got word. He played this role with the Trump Trump campaign, got word about Russian uh, emails that they were going to deliver to the Trump campaign. I don't think there's any sober investigation that makes Papadopoulos a major player. They do. What about you? Right. They're making it up. Um, Papadopoulos, even they admit, and the Australian diplomat admits, Papadopoulos never said emails, never said it. What happened was, and, and this is so thin that Mueller actually calls it in his report a suggestion about a suggestion. They're having this conversation, the Australian diplomat Downer and uh, Papadopoulos in a bar. And Papadopoulos says something to him along the lines of Russia maybe having dirt on Hillary. He never explains what the dirt is. And this happens, by the way, in I think it's April or May of 2016, a couple of months before the DNC emails come out. Two months later, when the DNC emails come out, Downer goes, oh, that must have been what George was talking about. And he tootles over to the Obama-controlled U.S. State Department in London and passes this information along, and that's the basis on which uh, they say they opened the crossfire yes. hurricane investigation. But it was it, down, Papadopoulos never said emails. There's no reason to believe Papadopoulos knew anything about the DNC emails. When he was talking about emails, if this conversation happened at all with Mitsud back in April, they were talking about Hillary Clinton's emails on her homebrew service system. They didn't know nothing from nothing about the DNC emails. And they opened the investigation on the ridiculous basis that Papadopoulos may have been referring to the DNC emails when he said Russia had dirt on Hillary. And the biggest reason why we know that's nonsense is Hillary's not on the DNC emails. They never heard her 
There was no way they were going to destroy her campaign for the presidency. What was going to destroy her campaign for the presidency was her own emails, and that's why she was more than happy to highlight the DNC emails, which she was not on, to try to distract the public's attention from her own email scandal, which is what all this information points to. And who told Papadopoulos allegedly anything? Joseph Mifsud, a guy who hails from Yalta, who was teaching at a now defunct uh, London college who we can't find. Yes, and who denied when he was interviewed by the FBI and not arrested. He denied that he had had this conversation with Papadopoulos, which is awfully interesting because if, if we learned one thing during the Mueller investigation, Brian, Mueller knew how to bring a false statements case. And it's odd to me that if Mitzvah told the FBI something that was at cross purposes with what Papadopoulos told them, which is the basis on which they opened the investigation, why didn't they ever charge Mitzvah with lying to the FBI? Like they did Roger Stone, like they did Michael Flynn on down. Right. Yeah, and, and lastly, when you talk about false statements, what about the fact that their lead investigator is separating from Robert Mueller on uh, Andrew Weissman? On this investigation, do you find that intriguing? Of course, but you know, I think what you have is you have a, a sort of a crusty veteran FBI agent who was thrust into the middle of this investigation, which he thought was a nothing burger, and and frankly, which Peter Strzok uh, privately told Lisa Page was a nothing burger. Right? He said that yeah. in the in the text, we all know there's no there there. So here's a guy who's thrown into the middle of this. And I think he realizes that if this was a normal investigation, somebody would stop it. But because it was being run by headquarters, there was nobody there to tell them no. And by the way, in Peter Strzok's book, he talks about meeting Michael Flynn in detail. He comes over to the White House. He said, yeah, if you have to bring a lawyer, I'll have to wait. And he goes, no, no, come over now. And then he tours him through the White House. And they sit down, and they, he answers all their questions, and he keeps talking. And they finally had to say, Michael, I know you're, you know, General, I know you're busy, so we'll get going. He goes, I couldn't believe how talkative he was. He wasn't hiding anything. And they, and, and you right. got to. And, what, and what, what would Flynn have thought? Flynn was the national security advisor on, in his first full day on the job, and he thinks he's having a meeting yeah. with the, like the number two guy in counterterrorism or counterintelligence in the FBI, which would be totally normal. He said that he was saying things that are false. But his body language was showing he wasn't lying. Everything he learned about body language and tone and the way people look and touch their face and their eyes look a certain direction, he didn't do it. His body language said he was totally telling the truth, but he said the things he was saying to us, he had to know was false. Really? Okay. Uh, you know, I look, I've looked at the, um, the notes they took, and I think that they took very extravagant liberties with uh, with what he said, including the idea that he mentioned sanctions, which he didn't, according to the notes anyway. 32 years in the – this is what he gets. Uh, so even if you don't like him, even if you find him uh, grading, I don't. I was, thought he was awesome. Uh, that's that's the thanks you get. Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, Andy, that's why we couldn't wait to talk to you because you know so much about this case. And now that these memos are being public, I'll continue to bother you. You can be like, let me go to voicemail, <laughs> but I'm going to keep calling. All right, bro. No bother. All right. We'll watch on TV. one 408 Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. And he calls me from the shop saying, hey, man, why don't you come down and let's get together and start the band, you know? And I'm going, no, well, I just came off tour. He just finally convinced me to come down. So I came down, not wanting to do anything. We spent four or five hours playing music in the studio. I went home that night, listened to it, and went, wow. And that was uh, Sammy Hager talking to us on this show when his biography came out and talked in detail about his relationship with Van Halen and Eddie Van Halen. Uh, Sadly, uh, one of the real superstars of rock and roll, experts say one of the greatest to ever play. Uh, He has passed away at the age of 65, long battle with cancer. I think at the end it was throat cancer. He blamed it on the metal picks he used to hold in his mouth, but also could have been uh, a little bit of the lifestyle and his smoking. Not that that's important. Rolling Stone magazine puts Valen as the uh, number eight in the list of the 100 greatest guitarists. People that know him said he doesn't deserve number eight and deserves number one. David Lee Roth says what a long, strange trip it's been. Um, he's also shared a photo of them together. They had an off-and-on relationship, but mutual respect, obviously. So uh, Sammy Hager, heartbroken and speechless. Uh, unbelievable, right? So sad, and apparently the cancer, according to reports, had also traveled to his brain and other organs. Just yeah, it must have been awful. painful, sadly. Next, as we start more to know. <laughs> you never more to know. Bill Murray, Zoom Bomb. Did you see this? Robert Wolf on Fox News. He was on Fox Business yesterday. Let's listen to a little of it uh, with, uh, with, um, on the claim and countdown. One last question, you know, capital gains. Of course, when you sell a stock at a profit, you've got to pay capital gains tax. Traditionally, that's lower. And I know Bill Murray probably owns a few stocks here and there, and he'd like to cash in and not be taxed too much, or maybe he would. I don't buy anything. People just give me gifts, presents. He's having fun. Can you imagine that? He's, He's there at his house, and there's Bill Murray reading a magazine behind him. And don't you want friends like that? They just give you stocks as presents? It would be nice if it was true. Uh, XM Radio is close to inking a new contract with Shock Jock. I don't think you can call him that anymore. Howard Stern, $120 million. He denied it. You think he's going to get paid that? I mean, what? Report, he has a big contract prior. It would just be a raise from that. But the 120 also includes his staff salary and production costs. Oh, it does? Okay. Uh, then it makes sense. <laughs> Next, Billy Bush is upset that Matt Lauer never publicly supported him during the whole Trump tape scandal. Called it deeply hurtful. I think Billy Bush got totally screwed. This was stuff that done years before, but he was able to come all the way back. Who do you blame there? I think Matt Lauer probably knew that uh, he was hiding stuff on his own, right? And also, Billy Bush was next. That guy would have been a great Today Show host because he's extremely funny. But Matt Lauer, I also thought, did a great job. Uh, Just uh, it's a lose-lose all around. But Billy Bush is back. No sign of Matt Lauer yet. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Thanks Kilmeade. so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to get to today. But we got Chris Steyerwell to break down the VP debate in about 35 minutes. We have you in between, one 408 But I also got to tell you that Larry Kudlow, the White, the White House economic advisor, is going to be with us shortly. He's going to be getting to the telephone. You know, he was uh, one of our great affiliates, 77 WABC, had a fantastic show there on the weekends. He would never let you down, uh, of course, by by not showing up 27 days into the election 4 million people have already voted so let's get started now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three number three we know that hillary clinton not only invented the russia hoax she financed the russia hoax she disseminated the russia hoax and barack obama knew it uh, that is uh, Greg Jarrett, closer to answers, declassifying John Brennan's memo, the pushback, and the bizarre explanation from the former CIA director himself, and what it all means. Number two. The president said he would stop talks aimed at helping Americans through this pandemic, and then appeared to reverse course. On Twitter, he did call for his negotiators to walk away. That message immediately sent stocks into a nosedive and drew sharp criticism from members of both parties. Wow, that is uh, pretty cool. Rescue package needs CPR. As President Trump closes, then opens up via tweets, talks, the market's buying that something's going to get done. It's up 440 points right now. Pelosi's delay of game really got bailed out by the president's tweets. I wonder what he's up to because we need some help. Number one. It's an extremely important debate at this moment because of the two top people on the tickets. You have one, the 74-year-old president who just got out of the hospital, and the other who would be 78 on Inauguration Day, by far the oldest president ever to begin his term in office. So it is a big deal. Veep show tonight. The pressure's on Pence to give Trump's campaign something they have not had in weeks. That's momentum. While the media works with Biden to make sure that the 77-year-old is passable, now the facts reveal the NBC town hall from two days ago of undecided voters remember that it was actually packed with biden voters and supporters how unbelievable is that even political reports it was an hour-long infomercial infomercial sickening here's a little of joe biden trying to make sense he was in um hagerstown yesterday he's doing all the campaigning now because the president's got the covid virus uh, well he has no signs of it but he's got to test negative twice before he gets back out there and of course he should take it slow at his age but meanwhile, he was at Gettysburg yesterday. Joe Biden is vowing, vowing to attack the one problem in America that really needs to be attacked. Listen, cut four. I'll be a president who appeals to the best in us, not the worst. I'll be a president who pushes toward the future, not one who clings to the past. I'm ready to fight for you and for our nation every day, without exception, without reservation, and with a full and devoted heart. We cannot and will not allow extremists and white supremacists to overturn the America of Lincoln and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass. Oh, I love the mention of Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, fantastic Americans. Lincoln, fantastic Americans. America's chief problem is not white supremacy. As, as uh, abhorrent as that is and the KKK is, they're not the chief problem. There's anarchists in our city, not for white people, but to destroy the American people. That's If he wants to win over uh, Trump supporters, you go ahead and address the problem. Don't make one up. And I know that the FBI director said that, but there's no way that the problems in our inner cities are driven by white supremacists. 
and no one will ever convince me different. In fact, any police officer on the scene will tell you that. Joining me now is uh, Larry Kudlow. Larry, welcome back. Brian? Yeah, Larry, I think we got you now, right? Okay. Here I am. Okay, great. So, Larry, the market's up five hundred, uh, almost five hundred points right now. They believe something's happening with the with the, some type of uh, stimulus package. We believe you're the expert. Uh, is there something going on? Well, there's nothing concrete going on, but a uh, couple things. First of all, the president has said that he, he's opposed to this large package of. Two and a half trillion dollars for a, a whole bunch of reasons we can go into if you want to. But he also added late yesterday's, you may have seen this or reported on this, that he would sign a standalone bill. And that standalone bill could include um, economic assistance checks mailed around the country. Uh, airlines money, uh, they need help badly, uh, extending the um, PPP program for small businesses uh, and perhaps some COVID-related uh, vaccine money and, and maybe some school opening money. But I think the three crucial points the president's been emphasizing to us is extending the small business PPP, uh, the direct uh, checks, and the airline assistance. Now, he has said he would, you know, go for a, uh, a single bill, a one-shot bill, not going to have, you know, standalone, not going to have the whole big bill that has democratic, ideological, and political intention. Um, that's what he said. Uh, I think um, Secretary Mnuchin will be discussing that with uh, Speaker Pelosi. So, so as you know, Steve Mnuchin, you know better than me. You probably talk to him all the time. Has been in talks on and off all week uh, with Nancy Pelosi. They seem to get a lot along a lot better than Mark Meadows and Nancy Pelosi. But the president tweeted this out: Nancy Pelosi is asking for 2.4 trillion to bail out poorly run, high crime Democratic states. Money that is no way related to COVID-19. We made a generous offer of 1.6 trillion as usual. She is not negotiating. I am rejecting that offer request and looking to the future of our country. We'll do it again after election day. And so, Larry, what you're saying is I'd sign off on it. You would sign off on it. But the Democrats are saying, well, what do we get out of it? Because they want money to the states. Is there a way to get money to the states and not put it to their pension plans? Because, you know, some states legitimately need need money for sanitation and police officers and firefighters. Well, I don't think you can. I don't think, Brian, you can carve it up with designated or earmarked funds like that. I don't think you can do that, particularly if it's an omnibus bill, which is what they're talking about. I mean, look, um, POTUS is right. There's way too much money included for state and local assistance for whatever reason. And, and he has believed, and he said this from the very beginning, that uh, he's not going to bail out wasteful state and local management and that includes the government pension funds. This is not the time. Look, you can go after that discussion. I mean, here's a, a let me make this point. I respect, though I completely disagree, I understand that the other side 
has certain political and ideological necessities. I understand that, and I respect it, even though I disagree. However, POTUS's point is that this is not the time, because it has nothing to do with the economy or COVID. I mean, for example, busting the Hyde Amendment, government-funded abortions, that's in their bill, okay? Stimulus checks for illegal immigrants, that's in their bill. And there are some other things. Doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, there's still stuff about direct mail and harvesting. Doesn't have anything to do with COVID. You want to do that stuff, have separate pieces of legislation or, you know, do it another time. Uh, that's the president's point. He's been very consistent on that. But the um, standalone idea, Brian, it could have legs or not. I'm not going to make I'm going to say it's not because she said she wouldn't do it many times. She says, I don't want to break it up. Uh, and I'm sure Steve Mnuchin told you she said that, uh, too, Larry. The Fed chair, Jerome Powell, said this, that set, every, set this up. She says he's warning that failing to inject more federal help into the economy will risk the weakening, weakening the tenuous recovery. Do you want to question that statement? Well, look, <laughs> excuse me, I think it's a matter of degree. Look. I believe we're in a very strong V-shaped recovery, okay, much faster than folks think, really. And the numbers coming out, there's housing boom, there's an automobile boom, there's a manufacturing boom, uh, the jobs numbers are quite strong, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Inventories have to be rebuilt. So I think you've got a self-sustaining recovery. Now, you're going to get better than 20% growth, way better than 20% growth in the third quarter and maybe the fourth quarter. However, I will acknowledge this. I think that the bills that we're talking about, the possible uh, standalone bills to help small businesses with PPP, to help the airlines, for example, to help the schools reopen would provide Can I, can I roll additional- Perino and get out early? They, they will provide additional assistance uh, to the economy. They're targeted. Yep. Uh, I think particularly, Brian, the small business extension, the airline money. Uh, and See, Larry, I, I understand that. But when you told that to Steve Mnuchin, did he, what did he tell you back? He's like, hey, you know, I might be able to push her on this. Or, you know, that, that, this, is a, this is a bridge too far. Because he's the one there with his sleeves rolled up and seems to get along with their best out of all of you. And that's a titanic task getting along with the most partisan person in America. But having said that, when you told him that and when Mark Meadows says that, what does she say? Well, first of all, by the way, I I have no trouble getting along with Speaker Pelosi on a personal level. (laughs) Um, Stephen is our lead negotiator. And Stephen Mnuchin has done a terrific job, in my judgment, a terrific job. And it's a really hard one. Having said all that, they're going back and forth. Um, I, I don't want to predict anything, Brian. I just don't. I think the president's statement is very clear. He doesn't want a two and a half trillion or more gigantic omnibus bill that uh, uh, much of it has nothing to do with the economy or COVID. I think the president's also been very clear. He would take a look at these issues on the standalone bill, uh, especially small businesses. Uh, By the way, I should have added, I beg your pardon, unemployment assistance would be very helpful. So small businesses, airlines, unemployment assistance, and direct mail checks. Those are the key things. Look, we had an executive order to help on the unemployment assistance. 
We offered a plus up of $300 from the federal government, which could be matched by 100 bucks from the state. That's a very generous number, and it uh, sidesteps to some extent the worries about disincentives to go back to work. However, the executive orders, rules, and implementation will not last forever. I know. So, Larry, so I got to tell you, a show you don't watch, The View, I don't think, anyway, you're too busy. Nancy Pelosi, who you like, you just said you like, uh, is on right now. Here's a little of what she just said about what you're talking about just seconds ago. It's interesting that he said he'd send out those checks if we just sent him that bill, because all he has ever wanted in the negotiation was to send out a check with his name printed on it. Forget about the virus. Forget about our heroes. Forget about our children. Is that true? All the president wants is a check sent out with his name on it? That's a misstatement. I'm sorry. That's a misstatement. You're so kind. Uh, it, it, look, again. She's not saying it's a misstatement. You're saying it's a misstatement. I, I understand. And uh, Speaker Pelosi um, and I disagree on some key political issues and policies. But that doesn't mean I don't have a personal relationship. I do. That's just the way I am. You know that. Regarding the substance of the quote you just uh, uh, put out, um, I think she's incorrect, okay, with all due respect. The president is not just wanting to send out checks. He wants to add the airline assistance. He wants to add the small business assistance, and he'd like to add the unemployment assistance. To me, Brian, these are essential, important things. Again, the recovery may not depend on it, but they would be very helpful. This is targeted assistance that would help. It would help the economy. It's not asking a lot. It's not a large number, by the way. So the Senate Republicans might give it another look. It's just common sense. Leave the other agenda items on the other team for another day. I mean, we have agenda items, too. I mean, the president has uh, asked me to look into uh, uh, getting a good middle-class income tax cut. That may surface as a proposal, but right. that doesn't mean you want to vote on it. We, uh, we have other things to do post-election on both sides. Let's do the essentials right. that would help the economy. Are I you guys I, meeting I today? I agree with you. Larry, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm having a hard time pushing back because it make you, what you're saying is totally logical, but you're not negotiating with me. If you were, if you, were you won already. So I'm wondering, are you guys talking? Uh, is Mnuchin talking to Pelosi today? I believe so. Okay, so is that where the hope is? Because the market doesn't kid around with money. Is that where the 417-point rise at the market from? Is there something going on behind the scenes you could tell our audience? Uh, Brian, the market is a complex organism, and I would be very reluctant to make any direct connections uh, from this news event Okay. Lack of news events in the market. Look, one of the things the market's been telling us uh, for quite some time, you know, we're up 50 percent from the March lows, is that there is a recovery coming and that the pandemic issues, uh, gotcha. brutal, heartbreak, hardship, no question. But we have learned a lot and we are gradually gotcha. gaining control. And even now, the virus numbers uh, are looking pretty good. Larry, you know, you remember your days on WABC. I'm up against the break because I don't I never do. want to be rude. 
Uh, but um, we'll have to take a time out. Best of luck. I hope you work something out for everybody. Uh, I think the people in the hospitality industry and the airline industry really need it. Larry, thanks so much. Bye, Brian. Thanks for having me. Larry Cudlow, uh, back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It is really important for us to come to this agreement when the president just popped off and made that announcement without even informing us that that was the case. He insulted the Constitution of the United States. This is not a personal thing with him that he can send out checks with his name on it. This is the, Ameri- the money of the American people, and our priority in our country is we must crush the virus, and we must honor the people who are hard at work doing that. Right. That's why we have to provide uh, health care to legal immigrants, because we got to make sure the virus is great for Americans. Uh, that's why we got to work on the Hyde Amendment and give the post office money. Kevin, listening online in Pittsburgh. Kevin. Hey, Brian, love the show. Thank you. I just wanted to touch on that employee assistance. Uh, I work for a manufacturing company, and we've got plants all over the country. We can't find people to work. Uh, You drive down the street, you see all these help wanted signs. Uh, we got to figure out a way to get people back to work. Well, they haven't gotten the 600 bucks in a while, Kev. How much, if they want to get supplemental, being that unemployment is short-term and gives you 80% of your salary, are you comfortable with any supplemental? We've got to continue trying to reduce that amount. Yes. To try to encourage people to get back. Um, the 600, I mean, it's just too much right now. The unemployment rate's not going to continue to go down. Uh, we have work. We just can't get people to fill the jobs. Very interesting. What kind of products you make? Uh, we make plastic bottles. All right. And you're hiring? Oh, yeah. We're hiring. What's Everywhere the name of the company? Uh, Logo Plast. All right, go to, how do you spell it? L-O-G-O-P-L-A-S-T-E. All right, good. So everybody listening, you need a job? Find out if there's a plant near you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. We come back, we'll take some calls, and we've in Chris Starwolf, Brian Kilmeade Show. Debate tonight. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. They're stoking fears about black and brown Americans lying about how minorities will destroy the suburbs. And they're pinning it all on what's been an overwhelmingly peaceful movement for racial solidarity. What the president is doing is once again patently false. It's morally wrong. And yes, it is racist. But that doesn't mean it won't work. Right. Michelle Obama coming out calling the president a racist. Oh, what time is it? Where's the big hand? Uh, I know she wakes up in the morning thinking that, right? Most popular political figure uh, from among Democrats. Uh, with 27 days to go to the election, on a, literally on a Tuesday afternoon, releases that tape. And I ask you, why do you want to take your best swings in batting practice? Why do you want to try to hit out of the stadium before the game starts? It makes no sense to me. 
Now, what she says is impact, of course, but to me it means two things. It means there's something with the African-American vote that's not motivated, and they're getting worried because early voting matters more than ever. Four million have already voted, number one. Number two is, uh, does anyone really believe that these demonstrations are mostly without incident, are mostly just peaceful demonstrations? Can someone then tell that to the 400-plus cops who have been hurt in New York over the last two months, three months? Can someone tell that to the police in Portland or Seattle, for example? Or Kenosha? Can you tell those two, the cops who were shot there, that it's mostly peaceful? I, I was, I'm amazed by it. Why, why use your, your cleanup hitter with 27 days left the day before a vice presidential debate? I don't, I don't get it. Chris Starwell joins us now from Charleston, West Virginia, uh, where huh. he's been strategically located. <laughs> right? I, You're in I, our Charleston, I, West, Virginia, West Virginia Bureau? If I were going to West Virginia, no offense, Charleston, I've worked there for a dozen years or so, uh, but it would not be Charleston that I would choose. There's so many great places to be in West Virginia. So many great places. My gosh. Right. Are you there now? No. Oh, not what? at all. Oh, this new board, this new board says uh, we have this board that tells us all this information. Oh, my phone number is from West Virginia. Okay. That, uh, oh, okay. That's a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. My phone, I, and you know what's the best part about have, still having a West Virginia phone number after all these years uh, <laughs> out of West Virginia right. is that I still get my wrong numbers from West Virginia, which is makes life uh, infinitely better, See, uh, and <laughs> it just makes it a lot better. So I'm just uh, I'm just a robot. I just read the screen. So if it had your home <laughs> phone number, I would have yelled that out loud. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. So where are you? Text- I'm in Washington, D.C., right oh. where I'm supposed to be, right where I always oh, am. Oh, I thought you might be going to Utah. No, I don't need to go to Utah and uh, oh. and be behind a plexiglass shield <laughs> wearing a mask inside a hamster ball uh, underneath bubble wrap. Uh, I'm okay. Right. But, Chris, that's the same thing I say to myself because I wasn't asked. I go, well, I don't really need to go through that. I don't need to go to the airport. That's how I rationalize it. But uh, it, it hurts to be left out. But it, but it, it is, a, it is a event made for television. It should be, you know this experience, I assume, which is you're at an event that is, is a television event. I know. But you can't see it because you're there. It's like, oh, great, I'm here. Now I'm missing everything. So what I do at the Super Bowl, I've, I've been to so many Super Bowls, and I start you're out and I love the crowd and the flyovers, and then I end up in the basement watching the game exactly. on television so I can get all the stats and hear the nuances of the game and the sideline report. And the plays and do all the stuff. And it's just and, – and these, these are television events. And I frankly hope we, we never go back to having crowds. I think it's not appropriate to have crowds for these events. These should not, you should not be playing to the crowd. It should, the crowd should not be a factor here because there's no way that you can have a representative crowd. I think these things should be done in a sober-sided, serious way. I hear you. It's important stuff. I know, absolutely. Because, you know, you have some people, you might be making a great point, but your people aren't in the audience. And it's going to go, oh, I guess that was, you know, maybe it was just me. I think well, that's right. The only time I want big crowds is on my book events. Of course, obviously. Well, that's. And there you have to beat them off with a stick. You can't you can bar- you can barely escape. Yes. My and, God. and they hate when I beat them with a stick. And so I end up <laughs> fracturing. Chris, so Most my original bump in sot to set up the to, to set the table for our conversation had nothing to do with our conversation, but now I hope to p- pivot there. I have a theory 
uh, and I, I can't quite figure it out, but I've been forced to theorize, why on a Tuesday would Michelle Obama come out and call President Trump a racist when she could be much more effective doing that maybe after the debates or on a bigger time slot or maybe a sit-down uh, on The View or someplace else? Like, why now? Would you cut this well, tape and release it? So there's already been more than 5 million votes cast. The election is well underway. It, I've stopped thinking about Election Day and started thinking about the end of the election. So that's one thing to always factor into your thinking on all this stuff, which is millions and millions and millions of votes have already been cast, and that, that number will intensify with each passing day. Um, so there's that. Then there's the fact that she is, if anything, one of the most brand-conscious individuals in the world. She is Oprah-level, Gwyneth Paltrow-level brand-conscious. And when she did her thing at the uh, convention, when she did this, so it's this, she, she's mad, but it's in a spirit of high-minded regret, and she is very keen. I listened to an interview that Conan O'Brien did with her the other day. She's very keen to avoid sounding like she's politically ambitious herself. That would be bad for her brand. So she's trying to protect this brand that she, this, this, that she's developed uh, with her books and with Netflix and with all this other stuff. So I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is it was one month to the it's, – it's the, you know, four weeks to Election Day. So I think whatever anybody thinks about the content of it, uh, love it or hate it, uh, I think a, a month out is not an unreasonable time to do something like that. See, here, here's what I think. I think that she knows one of the reasons, uh, one of Hillary's undoings was the lack of motivation in the, in the black community, and she's seen some of those same numbers. Now, maybe she feels better about uh, Joe Biden than Hillary Clinton or vice versa, whatever, but she sees something in the numbers, and she wants to lock it in like only she can lock it in. And that's what she's looking to do. And also, keep in mind, the timing thing doesn't make sense, too. Remember on the DNC, she recorded her thing in July. Why? She missed, like, whatever the major news story was, she missed it. So what is the big rush? Oh, her disappointment. Um, because she was not – and she did, I believe, from Martha's Vineyard. She, uh, Oprah, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow do their thing on your schedule. And so you have to think of her as she thinks of herself, I think, which is one of those kinds of figures. Um, but, you know, I guess I, I – Democrats are, in 2016, were insufficiently afraid of Donald Trump. In 2016, Democrats took for granted that they would beat Trump and ignored lots of warning signs, right? Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. And, in fact, the Clinton campaign at times intentionally squelched reasonable and righteous concerns about Michigan and Wisconsin uh, trying to look like they had it all together because they believed that somehow if they, if they looked like they were winning, they were going to win. So Democrats got uh, caught asleep at the wheel, an election that they should have won and could have won, right? It wouldn't have taken that much. Uh, if, if Hillary Clinton would have been right. more attentive, more responsive, she could have won the election. This time they are taking nothing for granted. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Everything is to the point of overkill. They are, you know, the Democrats are fretful about everything. Are we knocking on too many doors? Not enough doors. Doing this, they're not going to any doors. They just started knocking on doors, but right. But that's I, what I mean. Right. All of these debates among Democrats about is it this or is it that? You didn't hear it four years ago. This time you hear it with everything. Real quick on the VP debate tonight, I think this is one of their their last great chances to get momentum, and I think yeah. Mike Pence is capable. He's 
capable of doing just that to you. Yeah, um, he's got a he's got his work cut out for him. His job is to define Harris as a radical California liberal, social justice, environmental radical. Like his job is to say she is a California Democrat and she is going to make Biden that way. And Pence has to really go out and be on the attack against her to try to get her to own these liberal positions, because that's what Democrats are or that's what Republicans are counting on is they're sa- they're going to say it's the Trojan horse. Biden's just a figurehead. It's this is the radical agenda that's underneath. And even if they can't save Trump, that helps them in the Senate, because if she is a figure of concern for Republicans or persuadable uh, right leaning voters, uh, that reinforces their Senate votes, too. Chris, uh, good to know you're not in Charleston, West Virginia. I would be happy to be there. I would, I would be fine. I'd be at the cold spot for lunch. It would be fine. But your phone is. Uh, exactly. <laughs> all right. Chris Tywell, thanks so much. It's going to be fun tonight. Yeah, man. All right. one 408 7669 When we come back, we'll stop in Albany, New York. Also, Rockland, New York, Arizona, and Orlando, and wherever you are. Don't move. There's no topic he won't touch. And there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phones. Nick is listening on WABC. He's been quite patient. Hey, Rick. Hey, Nick. How are you? Yeah, Brian. Good. I'm doing good. Brian, I wanted to just make two points. First of all, uh, Biden was in uh, Gettysburg saying he he wants to get unity in the nation. Well, not not responding if you're going to repeal the filibuster or pack the courts. Absolutely. That's not not considered national unity. My second point is that um, I've been following the polls and Trump and the Republicans are in big trouble. I mean, Trump was up with 50% in Rasmussen for the last month. Today he's at 44%. And all the polls, he's just way down. Trump is in big, big trouble. I'm just warning. Well, put it this way. I, I think that this is not a good point for him, but I don't think it's over. And I think that Pence could change things right away. And, the, and their best offense is Joe Biden. I want you to listen a little. Joe Biden inspiring the world at Gettysburg, actually thinking like he's bringing us together. Cut five. Here. On this sacred ground, Abraham Lincoln reimagined America itself. Here, a president of the United States spoke of the price of division and the meaning of sacrifice. And he taught us this. A house divided could not stand. That is a great and timeless truth. Today, once again, we are a house divided. But that, my friends, can no longer be. We are facing too many crises. Wow. I'm ready to go take on the world. The problem is Joe Biden isn't running as a moderate. He's running pretending he's a moderate. Everybody who was on that stage, those 12 people on that stage, uh, were more moderate, would have potentially been better candidates than him. The only problem is the guy that emerged was a socialist, and that's how he got this nomination. I don't even think he believes he said what he's saying because he was just an administration that couldn't have been more polarizing for Americans in Barack Obama and Joe Biden and with Eric Holder as the attorney general. Anthony, listen on WGDA in Albany, New York. 
Hey, Brian, good morning, man. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm in upstate New York, just outside the, uh, the capital of Albany here. And when I listen to these stimulus packages, I agree that, you know, Americans who are really out of work and deserve it and small businesses, um, you know, should, should, should get it. And then I'm starting to hear this other stuff about trying to bail out states. So I'm going to tell you quickly about New York. Um, we, being in the capital, the state is the largest employer in this in this region, and right now their buildings are occupied at about ten to fifteen percent. Yep. It's been like this since March. They've been home. They've been getting paid. People say they're working at home, but they're not equipped to work at home. So we've been hemorrhaging money, and now the governor, who has shut down every form of revenue, has got his hand out. Um, we're 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 out of here. Um, probably sooner than we had expected for our retirement. But um, within the next month, month and a half, our house is going on the market. Um, I'm leaving. My son's leaving. And my in-laws are leaving. So get this, uh, Anthony. I totally understand it. I know so many people like you that have had it. Because Albany's not a great place to live in the winter. You know, not easy to get around. But it is this bastion of, uh, you know, it's a nice ta- It's a nice city because it's the state's capital. Outbound moving states. People who are leaving more states. Washington, D.C., not a state, but more people leaving there. In terms of states, New York. Number one, Nevada, number three, Oregon, number four, Delaware, number five. Top inbound states, Vermont, North Dakota, believe it or not, Connecticut, Montana, and Michigan. And this governor is just waiting it out. He wants a handout. And if Joe Biden wins, he's going to give him that blank check to do more of writing these checks and these in- incredible pension packages. I love the cops. I love the, the, the firefighters. They cut great deals. But we have to find a way. To make it easier to live in this city or people are just going to leave like Anthony listening on WGDA. Terry listening. Excuse me. Chris listening on WDBO in Orlando. Chris. Hey, Chris. Terry, Indianapolis, Indiana. Terry. Hi. A couple of things. First, uh, thank you. And then first about the debate, I think we need to remember that being from Indiana, I know, and we all know, how much Mayor Pete hates Pence. This will be a lot of Kamala's like silly putty. You put her on the newsprint, she, that's what you see. That's going to have Pete's imprint, and I think she's going to treat him like Kavanaugh. Yes, no, give me a yes, no answer. And as far as the um, Russiagate stuff, this is scary because we had a Republican up there who hit all this, allowed a general to get smeared, and Dan Coates, just let it happen, and yep. I'm, grateful that, I'm grateful that you said that on your show this morning, and we need to understand that Republicans help the Democrats smear Trump. Yeah, and by the way, I don't never met Dan Coats, but he did nothing. And uh, he calls the, goes out and says, I guess the president does have some connections to Russia. Really? You go and tell Bob Woodward that, but you leave, you don't say anything, you don't do anything, you make almost no impact. And then Rick Grinnell comes in, ambassador from Germany, and says, look at all this stuff. And he delivered it. That's all. He deciphered it. He did his job. And that took guts because people in the intelligence industry don't necessarily uh, like people on the outside in the diplomatic corps to tell them what to do. But he did it. So thank you. Also, when it comes to the stimulus, I, I don't tell me your political position. There's so many people who need help in hotels and in restaurants. You've got to get money to these people. And I'm not for running up the deficit, but we currently have no choice. Gene, Connecticut. Gene. Hi, Brian. I love your show. I love all your guests. I love Larry Kudlow. Um, But I wanted to say, I told your screener earlier, you know, I've been following this whole Russiagate thing since like 2016, and I'm kind of a news junkie, but I'm also kind of just your average housewife here in Connecticut. I'm a registered nurse. 
I, I agree with everything Andy McCarthy said. He, his synopsis he gave you earlier was so on the money. My worry is it's too little, too late. That it's all going to come out now, but we've got a month before the election. Okay, the the media, mainstream media, completely ignores it. And I wish people on your network would call these people out by name, like, "Hey, David Muir. Hey, Wolf Blitzer. Hey, you know, Lester Holt." Doesn't matter. Why are you, Gene? They don't. Gene, they don't care. What worries me is the Dorm report has everything in it. And it's going to be released after the election, and really no one's going to pay attention, and that'll have all the explosions. Do you know what they say, Gene, the reason why it's not done? He keeps finding more and more stuff. I can imagine. This whole thing was predicated on the slimmest of things, and anything they could put into this cauldron, this witch's brew called Russia, that even related remotely to it, they threw it in there to create this huge, right. you know, narrative that and, the mainstream and media Jean, bought into. Thanks so much, Gene. I appreciate your support. Also, as a, as you say, a housewife from Connecticut, if you want Trump to win, there's got to be other suburban housewives like you, because right now the numbers aren't there for him yet. Andy and Brock, I will lead with you tomorrow, so please call back. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.